Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining Jewish Stories and More. Tonight's story may have been told once upon a time on this podcast, but it's going to be a little bit different. And it's such a beautiful story. If we told it every day, it would also not be a waste. And I have a few extra details. This story took place in around 1650 or so, middle of, uh, I'm sorry, about 1550, middle of the what we call the 16th, 16th century, but it's actually the 1500s. So around 1550, there was a certain anus. An anus means somebody was forced, like similar to the word oinus, somebody who's... Um, does something um, because they're forced to do it. And unfortunately, a very sad chapter of Jewish history, there were Jewish people who were forced into um, accepting another religion. So one of these people um, moved from Portugal to Tzvas. Portugal is a country in Europe, um, near the Mediterranean Sea, bordering the Mediterranean Sea. And Sfas, of course, is in Eretz Israel, a very, very holy city that um, is in the northern part of Eretz Israel. And when he moved there one day, he heard a talk from the Rav of the Shul. And the Rav was speaking about the Lechem upon him, the special bread which was placed in the Kodesh, in the holy room of the base of Mikdash, each week there were 12 loaves, and one stood for each of the Shvatim. They were on a special table, um, 12 shelves, six on one side, six on the other side of the golden table. And each week, these loaves stayed miraculously warm and fresh for the entire week. At the end of the week, the Kohanim who were serving that week would be allowed to eat them, uh, part of their holy avoda, part of their holy service, and then new loaves would be placed there. Friday, Friday, the new loaves were placed there. And the Rav in his speech said that Unfortunately, today we have no base of Mikdash, and we have no loaves, no lechem upon him, and all of the holiness that comes down to the world from Hashem through the avoid of the service of the lechem upon him, we don't have it anymore. That was basically the speech. So, this simple Jew went home, and uh, he thought, an idea. He said to his wife, my dear, please prepare two special challahs this Friday. When you sift the flour, when you prepare the flour, make it nice and smooth, um, you should sift it 13 times. Now, I'm sure, not sure where he got the idea, 13 times, um, but I Perhaps it was 
taken from the Rav's speech. I don't know. Um, and he said, make sure that you are spiritually pure at that time. When you need it, when you make the dough, and bake it very, very well in the oven, very, very nicely. And he said, the reason is, his wife wanted to know, what's what's this with the special challahs? What's going on? And he said, because I want to present these special challahs as an offering to Hashem. And I'm hoping that Hashem will accept these challahs and will uh, take them. Okay. His wife said, fine, sounds like a great idea. And so Friday afternoon, the challahs were ready. In fact, they were probably ready Thursday night. And by Friday morning, they were ready for him to take. So Friday afternoon, after he finished work, but before Shabbos, before anybody arrived in Shul, he brought the loaves. And he dove into Hashem and said, Hashem, please, please accept our offering. Please take these challahs and eat them, consume them, just like on the Mizbeach. And he went on and on like this, very sincere, Hashem, please, please. And then finally, when he was finished all of his davening, all of his simple davening, because he was a simple person, he didn't know that much, he put them in the Arna Kodesh and he went home. Now, not that much later, the Shamash of the Shul came, the person who made a Seder in the Shul, that is to say, he made sure everything was organized and things were where they were supposed to be. He opened up the Aaron to make sure everything was ready for Shabbos. And, whoa, look at this. Two freshly baked loaves of challah. He had no idea where they came from. But, Okay, he took them home to eat for Shabbos. That night, after davening, after Meirev, everybody re- everybody left to the shul, and when everybody was gone, our friend, the simple Jew, uh, opened the iron. He was very nervous. He didn't know whether Hashem had accepted his gift of challahs or not. He looked inside, and the Aaron was empty of chalas. There was sifritaida. There was perhaps a few other things, but no chalas. And he was so happy. In fact, it seemed to him that there was a special kind of a light in the Aaron. And he felt that Hashem had taken the chalas and that Hashem was very pleased with the challahs. He was so happy. He ran home. He said to his wife, Dear wife, we must thank Hashem because he accepted the challahs. I put the challahs in the Aaron this afternoon, and tonight they were gone. Hashem must have enjoyed them. He must have eaten them while they were nice and warm and fresh. 
So we see that Hashem loves our chalas. He said to her, let us do this every week. Every week we must try to give Hashem the same pleasure and to be as careful and loving with the preparation of the chalas. And I will try to be careful with my davening before I put the chalas in the aron, just with the same dedication. And so this went on for a while, week after week. They prepared the chalas, and week after week, the shamish opened the aron sometime before Shabbos and saw fresh chalas, and he took them home. But the Yid and his wife were so happy. Every week they were happier. They felt, ah, Hashem loves our offering. Just like in the times of the base of Mikdash. We are giving an offering to Hashem, and He's taking it, He's accepting it. They were incredibly happy, incredibly joyous, and incredibly thankful to Hashem. One Friday, the Rav was working on his uh, drasha, which he was going to give on Shabbos. He was in shul, and the Jew entered the shul with his freshly baked chalas, like he did every week. But this time, the Rav was there. So the Yid waited. Perhaps the Rav would leave. He felt it to be private. But the Rav wasn't leaving, and he wasn't leaving, and it looked like he might be staying there straight through till Shabbos. And so he did quietly, went over to the iron, and tried to quietly open up the iron doors and put in the chalas without being noticed. But it didn't work. The Rav saw him. The Rav came over. He said, what are you doing? Why are you putting those chalas in the iron? Are you the one that's been putting chalas in the iron every week? The Yid felt very embarrassed. He felt like he had done something wrong. And the Rav continued and he said, That is so silly. When I gave the Jerasha, when I taught about the Lechem upon him at the base of Mikdash, that was only because there was a base of Mikdash. We can't put Lechem upon him in the iron the way they did then, it's it's completely silly to do that. Who do you think takes them? You think Hashem takes them? It's the Shamish comes every week and takes home the chalas. Oy, the Yid felt so embarrassed. Oh, he started to cry. Rabbi, I'm so sorry. I apologize. I misunderstood the lesson. I'm so sorry. How silly. It seems that I have done a sin. It seems I've done something bad. As they were speaking, a special messenger came from their Rizal. Rabbi Yitzchak Luria. The Rizal was a tremendous, tremendous tzaddik who lived at that time. He was one of the major, major figures one of the major, major tzaddikim and tamidei chachamim in the history of Kabbalah, of Yiddishkeit in general. And the Arizal actually taught 
that now things had changed. In the times of the Rashbi, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, the author of the Zohar, and other people who had learned and taught Kabbalah from the beginning until then, until their result, it was always meant to be kept secret. Just a very, very few people were supposed to learn Kabbalah. But the result announced it's now a mitzvah to learn and teach Kabbalah. Rizal explained that because now we are closer to Mashiach coming, it is now time to reveal the teachings of the Kabbalah. And he started that process. So, in any case, he lived in Tzfas, and he was aware of what had just happened through his Ruch HaKadosh, and he sent a message to the Rav, now here, there are two different versions of the story. One is a happier version, and one is a sadder version. So of course, I'm going to tell the happier version. The happier version is that the Rav received the message that unlike his understanding Hashem actually was very, very happy with this Jew who so sincerely wanted to give a gift to Hashem, him and his wife, that Hashem actually had more pleasure from this gift of these chalas that were put in the iron than any other pleasure which Hashem had since the times of the Beis HaMikdash that this Jew's simple dedication to Hashem, him and his wife, gave Hashem so much pleasure. And now, this Rav had taken away this pleasure. And therefore, he was in danger. So, what should they do? The Rav sat down. The messenger sat down. And our friend, the simple Jew, sat down together. What should be done? The Rav's very life was in danger. They didn't know what to do. But the simple Yid had a suggestion. He said, perhaps what we should do is teach more of the people like myself, the simple people that don't know so much, to teach them more what is correct in the Torah. And we could give Hashem pleasure that way. If people like me can learn Torah, and then we can learn enough perhaps to teach other people too, and increase the amount of Torah knowledge, especially among the simple people, and perhaps this will be something that will be so pleasurable to Hashem that uh, there will be no negative consequence from what happened. And of course, the Rav liked that idea. And the messenger of the Arizal approved of that idea. And that's what they did. They began a whole campaign for all of the simple people, the unlearned people, to be especially involved in learning Torah in a way that they can understand. And therefore, 
they wouldn't be so unlearned and not knowing what Torah actually t- teaches us. And because of this campaign that our friend, the simple Jew, suggested, the Rav was not any longer in danger. And the great light of Torah shone brighter. And especially the light of the Rizal's teachings, which has continued to grow brighter and brighter until today. And in fact, these teachings of the inner part of the Torah, the inner soul of the Torah, is a very important element in bringing the Geula. As Mashiach told the Baal Shem Tov, when Baal Shem Tov asked him, Amosai Kasimar, Master, when are you coming? Mashiach answered, When your wellsprings, the, te- the wellsprings of your teachings are spread to the outside. So whenever we can, it's so important to teach Torah. And especially for people that don't have the opportunity to teach Torah, they're simple in their knowledge. And this includes also the inner teachings of the Torah that sold in the Shama of the Torah, the teachings of Hasidus. And in this way, by spreading these teachings more and more and more, Torah in general, of course, mitzvahs in general, of course, but especially the teachings of Chassidus, of the inner teachings of the Torah, and especially teachings about Mashiach and Geula, this will certainly speed up the coming of Mashiach, the coming of the Geula. May it happen immediately. Thank you for joining Jewish Stories and more.